do, do, do. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of human civilization. It's called Coffee with Scott Adams because that's what we're going to do. And if you'd like to take this situation up to levels that nobody can even understand with their human little brains, all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine. The end of the day, the thing that makes everything better is called the simultaneous sip, and it happens now. It's going to be way better if I put on my microphone. I, I have a trick for remembering to put on my microphone. What I, what I do is I leave it in the middle of my working surface so that there's no way in the world that I could not notice that it's on. And then as soon as I get my printed notes, uh, I, I've got to put them down and the microphone's in the way. So I move it out of the way. <laughs> and then later you say, why can't we hear you? Because my trick to remember doesn't work. doesn't work at all. I need a new trick. Well, there are a bunch of interesting things. I'll just go over them quickly. There's a new discovery using a radar that there was some ancient waterway that snaked from the Nile to where the pyramids are. And you can't see any signs of these ancient waterways, but apparently they were massive. So that might be the big explanation of why the pyramids are where they are, because they had massive waterways to transport all the materials and stuff that they needed. Now, isn't that interesting? to think that the pyramids were right next to a big tributary of the Nile, and that once, the Nile, once that tributary dried up, we had no idea like how they got those rocks. Might have been the answer. I guess you already knew that one. I saw an Andrew Huberman clip in which he had some guests saying that your dopamine resets in 30 days. <laughs> so if there's something you're addicted to, if you can stay off it for 30 days, your dopamine will get back to uh, where you want it. <clears throat> so, in other words, if you, can, if you can keep off something for 30 days, you'll start to not miss it. Now, I added my own experience, which is when it comes to food, uh, my experience is it takes about 60 days. Because there's not just your body that has to get acclimated to the dopamine, but also your brain because you often have a habit. So you're dealing with an addiction and a habit at the same time. Maybe the dopamine goes back after 30 days, but the brain part, where you go to reach for that thing, in my case it was Diet Cokes, you know, your, your brain just wants to do a Diet Coke after, let's say after you exercise or something, you know, my, my normal triggers. So 60 days to get rid of your habits as well as your dopamine deficiency. And that's why when I give diet advice, I give it like a hypnotist, not like a nutritionist. So what I tell you is uh, don't, try to quit, uh, don't try to quit the quantity of food you eat at the same time you're trying to get up, give up an addictive food. So for example, uh, you should just try to quit one bad food at a time while, while not making any changes to the volume you eat. Because if you change the volume you're eating, 
You've got hunger at the moment you're dealing with. You've got a habit you're dealing with, and maybe an addiction. So you've given yourself three problems. (laughs) You can get rid of one of them by just not being hungry. Eat as much as you want, but make sure that you lose your craving for this one that's extra bad. And then when that craving is gone, two months later, you pick another one. Now, if you did that every two months for one year, imagine you could reduce these six biggest problem foods without really much of an effort, because you would never be hungry. And you'd always be eating things you liked all the time. So that, that's my, my, uh, my suggestion, is never let yourself be hungry while you're dieting. Just change the mix of things you're eating. All right. But do them one at a time. Don't, don't, get, don't get rid of all your addictions at the same time. So even getting rid of sugar all at once is tough. But getting rid of that, you know, ice cream you eat before you go to sleep, you know, just work on that. And then if you can get that one after two months, maybe work on, you know, dessert after dinner. And then just that one. So that'll work for you, believe me. All right. Uh, I was asked on uh, X uh, if hypnosis could be used for breaking addictions, such as drinking and drugs. (laughs) And the answer is, I'll give you the answer that my hypnosis teacher taught me which has basically changed my life. (laughs) You know, you've heard this in another context, but in the hypnosis context, it's really strong. Uh, My hypnosis instructor taught me this, which I've seen to be true my entire life, that when somebody has decided to quit their addiction, drinking, drugs, food, smoking, whatever it is, when they've decided to quit, it doesn't matter what method they use. They could use hypnosis and it would work. Totally it would work. They could use uh, reading a book that gives them some tips. Totally it would work. They could say, oh, uh, I did it my way. I went to a desert island. That would work. It all works. Once you've decided, everything works. And, but you might want to do something. In other words, don't do nothing. It probably helps that you pick some method you're comfortable with. But the flip side of that is when you only want to quit, no method works. Let me say that again. When you want to quit your addiction, but it's not a decision, it's just something you really want, no method works. Uh, let, let me say that like five more times. If you haven't decided to quit, you just want it, no method works. No method works. No method works. No method works. That's, that's the thing you have to get right is the decision. All right. Rasmussen uh, had a poll of uh, Arkansas voters and what they think about paper ballots versus machines. And by two to one, the Arkansas people wanted paper ballots. But here's the weird part. 31% opposed having only hand-marked ballots. In other words, 31% of people in Arkansas prefer machines. Um, why? <laughs> Does anybody have any reason? Have you ever heard of any reason? I've never heard one. Because it's, it's not a reason that you can't do it in time. That's just a manpower or human power thing, right? There's no problem about getting it done in time. Uh, 100% of experts would agree 
that you can have a, f- a fair and secure and well-audited election, 100% of experts would agree that adding a complicated new technology could give you problems on voting day, of course, but also questions about what's happening within the machine if people can't tell. So there's a, a public perception problem. So even if the machines are perfect, the, the public has trouble telling. It's, there's an audit problem. So um, I, I just can't understand how in the world nearly a third of people in Arkansas, you know, especially a Republican kind of state, what argument do they have for not having paper ballots and also having electronic machines? What, have, you ever heard an, uh, have you ever heard the argument? Machines with a time stamp? But still, machines introduce an extra level of complication, right? Lots of Democrats. But do you think it's... Let me ask you this. Do you think it's because 30% are uninformed about the advantages and disadvantages? Is that all it is? They're just uninformed? Probably. All right. Um, So, you know, this whole Seth Rich thing is bubbling up again because, I guess... So through some Freedom of Information Act, uh, we'll soon have access to what his laptop said. Now, I don't expect anything interesting to come of that. Um, according to a thing called the news, uh, the idea that Seth Rich had been giving stuff to uh, WikiLeaks, and that therefore that's why he got killed, that that came literally from a Russian disinformation that's the first time I heard that. And that uh, the story is that it was Russian disinformation and Hannity, uh, Sean Hannity on Fox, is the primary one who turned it into a thing and that there was never anything to it. How many of you think that that's a true, a true statement of what happened? That there's no evidence anywhere, there's no document, there's no testimony, no evidence that WikiLeaks ever got anything from Seth Rich. Don't believe it? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you where I'm at. Um, this, is, this is not one I'd be inclined to believe. I'm not inclined to believe it. But we do live in a world where most of the conspiracy theories have turned out to be real. You know, maybe like 55% of them or something. So... It's sort of squarely in the category of anything's possible, isn't it? Yeah, just sort of anything's possible. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But I'd love to see Hannity respond to the claim that the entire thing was based on one uh, Russian, known known Russian disinformation, because there was a fake document that they say they traced to Russia. It doesn't exactly sound like you could believe either side of this. Yeah, there's a lot of lack of credibility in this story. Well, Gallup has a poll about uh, how independent voters are thinking about uh, Biden. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, to see if you can guess uh, if the independent voters, well, what percent do you think uh, did not think that Biden's ruining the economy? Very good guess. Yeah, about a quarter, about a quarter. That's correct. All right, how many of the independents 
thought he's doing a pretty good job in the Middle East. The mi- oh, right again, 25%. Yeah, it's, it's right around 25%. Um, how about uh, what percentage of the public thinks he's doing good in foreign affairs in general? Foreign affairs in general. Well, how do you keep doing this? You're right again. Yeah, 28%, but you're very, very close. Very close. Wow. You are the smartest audience I've ever seen. And, and it should be noted that many of you had the right answers before I asked the question. That's something you're not going to see on Alex Jones. No. Nope. Only here. Can Stephen Crowder have people get the right answer before he asks the question? I don't think so. That's only here. Anyway, um, so James Comer in the uh, House Committee Oversight uh, Group, he released an email. He says that the uh, bank money laundering investigator, so there was a a bank employee who was an investigator for looking into allegations of money laundering within their bank. Uh, He raised concerns back in 2018 about unusual financial activity from China going to the Biden accounts. <laughs> um, now, apparently the government has known about this, and at least a bank has known about it. I'm sure it was reported. Um, since 2018, basically everybody knew since 2018. When I say everybody, I mean everybody who mattered in the, you know, the deep state government situation. Now... Would you say that Biden is staying in power because he thinks he's the best candidate for the job? I don't think so. Do you think it's because he's got plenty of energy left and he thinks that his health is perfect, and, or at least good enough, and uh, there's no real problem and he beat Trump before, so it just makes sense? No. <laughs> Nobody believes that. Nope. So why is he staying in office? Is it because they don't have a good backup? No, not really. Because they have at least people who can walk and talk and stand upright. Of course they have better candidates. Of course they do. Now, I've got, I think I've narrowed it down to two possibilities. And maybe it's both. Number one is that he's the most blackmailable president we've had in a long time. Although I suspect they all are. Um, and that, that he's being blackmailed by some members of the intelligence community or something, just so that they'll let him stay alive and out of jail. So it's the ideal situation, if you're the, an intelligence branch of a, of a government, to have the most blackmailable person as the leader. You, you, can't, you can't do better than that if you're the head of the intelligence agencies. Um, but on top of that... He's got to stay in power to uh, stay out of jail. Not just from the blackmail, but he's got to keep his pardon abilities. And he's got to keep his ability to prevent people from investigating carefully. Because you know, they might fear that if he's in office again, he'll get retribution so they can't go hard at any of his family. So how in the world could he win when you no doubt have somebody like Trump who would say this thing, these things out loud? You know, where's the part where Trump says what I said? Let's be serious, people. 
You know he's not running because he believes he's healthy enough. You all know that. Jill knows it. The public knows it. So it's not because he's healthy enough to do the job. It's not because he's the only good candidate the Democrats can muster. They've got some solid candidates. I mean, they could. They could. So I think that Trump could say this directly, or you know, Vivek or anybody who's running could just say, you've sort of narrowed it down to you're either blackmailed or you're just trying to stay in a jail, and that's kind of the whole story. Now, it is kind of a point in time, which is weird, that you could make the same argument about Trump, that he needs to win to make sure he stays out of jail, because that's probably true. So we have two presidential candidates who are probably going to run against each other, if the polls are correct, primarily to stay out of jail. Now, Trump has also a revenge motive, and he's Trump, and he likes to win, and he wants the country to do well, so he has lots of motives. But one of them, I'll bet, I'll bet one of them is staying out of jail. You know, top five. So, good work, America. (laughs) The American system got us to here. That's where we ended up. Great job. All right. Um, If I ever get murdered, I don't want it to be in an ironic kind of way that people do a story because it was kind of funny. You know, tragic. Tragic, of course. But sometimes funny. For example, if I were uh, murdered by a talking dog, you know, I do a comic where there's a talking dog, well, that would be in the news for sure. I mean, I suppose I'd be newsworthy either way. But I don't want the story to be how funny it is the way I died. It can't be ironic. I just want to go some natural way. I don't want to be like this L.A. social justice advocate who was killed when a homeless woman broke into his home and filled him with bullets. So uh, Jamila Elena Mikkel is the suspect went into his home and shot him to death. So that's who he was. That's the, uh, the homeless community is who he was trying to help. Um, if only there had been some way to avoid this. If only. What could he have done differently? I don't know. Can't think of anything. Jenk, uh, Jenk, Jenk Uyghur. Uh, he's running for the nomination to be the Democrat running for president. And he's saying uh, he's choosing to run to keep out all other major... Well, he's keeping out other challengers at a time when three-quarters of the country didn't want him to run. And uh, Cenk says it will be seen, if, if Biden stays in and he loses, it will be seen as one of the most selfish acts in American history. He's practically handing the country over to Trump. Well, he's right, but what is behind the selfishness? I don't think the selfishness is he he wants to be a two-term president. Biden might be the first legitimate president who said, you know, one term is fine. I don't know if anybody ever said that. But he might be the only person who ever legitimately expected to and wanted to have one term. Might be the only one because of his age. I think he still wishes he had one term. That's my assumption based on observation of his health and his performance. But 
Can't read his mind, so you never know. I guess the U.S. set a new record with 15% of our current population is made up of immigrants. 4.5 million new immigrants settled since Biden took office. Um, And there are now almost 50 million immigrants, both legal and illegal, residing in the country. Does that sound like bad news to you? What's your... Like, does your brain translate that into bad news? Because I feel like there's some bias in that, if you are. I mean, like a lot of bias. <laughs> like, we, we would have a far fewer uh, gigantic corporations in America, like Google and you know, things like that, if we didn't have this many immigrants. Do you, do you think that the net of 50 million immigrants, do you think the net net is negative? Does anybody think that? Yes? Okay, that's crazy. That's crazy. Most of these are legal immigrants who had the wherewithal to get to America because they wanted to work in this system. Are you kidding me? Let, let me say this unambiguously. 50 million immigrants in the United States is financial gold. That's financial gold. Now, hold on. If you're shocked by that, it's because you're confusing the troublemakers with the average. <clears throat> don't, cons- don't confuse the troublemakers with the average. The-, the quality of immigrants to the United States is probably unparalleled. You know, even with as much trouble as we have with the illegal crossings, if you're looking at the whole picture, oh my God, do we get good immigrants. We get really good immigrants in general. Now, at the moment, we've got a, a quality problem because we're not vetting anybody. They're just running over. That's different. And, and I would grant you, if all 50 million just ran across the border from every part of the world, you don't know which way that goes. But given that most of, the, most of the immigrants came under some kind of a system where you, know, you had to be adding something to the, to the economy, you, you, you need to get this right. This is something you need to get right. The United States has a declining population. We would be dead without immigrants. It's the difference between thriving and just being dead. So I'm saying people disagree with that. If you disagree with that, you're completely off base. Yeah, that's not, this is not a matter of opinion. This is not a matter of opinion. Uh, I, I believe 100% of economists would agree. 100%. Find me one economist who disagrees with me. And not about illegal immigration, but about the 50 million. You will not find one economist left or right who disagrees. I don't think. Now, again, I, everybody who's disagreed with me, you're having the same problem. You're, you're imagining that the, the troublemaking group is somehow representative. It's not. Not even close. All right. Um, Kamala was uh, at some event with... Uh, we'll talk about this event with... Uh, what's his name? Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, Deal Book, I guess, is the event. And Harris was asked by Sorkin uh, to talk about TikTok, you know, specifically its danger to the United States. And she 
she treaded water for two minutes talking about completely other things, and then when he got her back to TikTok, she said she didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's the Vice President of the United States talking about one of the existential threats to the country, no doubt about it, which is that China can push the heat button on anything they want. And she's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Wow. And her family members use it, of course. Of course. Well, the Gaza ceasefire has been extended another day. What does it all mean? What does it mean? Does it mean there's going to be a permanent ceasefire? I doubt it. Uh, Netanyahu is saying as clearly as possible today, no, Hamas will be completely destroyed. Whatever we do between now and then, don't be confused. It won't look like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's not going to look like a ceasefire. Whatever we do, it ends with killing everybody in Hamas who was a bad guy. So I think, you know, delaying for another day, if they give some more prisoners back, probably a win. Uh, The thing I don't understand is, I I keep hearing people say that Hamas will uh, rearm themselves because of the ceasefire. Where would they get these arms? Is it because they can more easily get to a different tunnel where there's some arms? Because I doubt they're running out of arms. Aren't the tunnels just full of ammo and arms? I don't know. It seems to me that they've got that area pretty buttoned up. Nobody gets in or out. I don't know how they were going to get any extra arms from the outside. So unless they had some way to you know, repurpose them on the inside, I don't know that it would make any difference. So that's just an open question. Did you see the uh, viral uh, thing that happened with North Face, the maker of outdoors clothing? There was some uh, viral TikTok, uh, uh, an attractive woman who must have had a big social media presence. I don't know who it was. But she was uh, up hiking in some remote part of Australia, and it was raining, and she was wearing a North Face-made uh, rain or jacket that she, I guess she thought might have been a little waterproof, but it wasn't. So she was complaining in this remote mountain where there's just nobody else, like all by herself up on this mountain. And she's just waterlogged and wet. And she's complaining into her, her phone. And she tells North Face that she wants them to uh, bring, her, bring her a new jacket at the top of the mountain. So North Face, magnificent bastards that they are, immediately leapt into action and managed to get this quick film. They did this so quickly that she was still in the mountain. Right? They, they rented a helicopter. They got a uh, film crew, I guess, and they got a guy that they filmed running into the store, grabbing a jacket, uh, running onto a helicopter. You see the helicopter find her on the mountain. She's really the, she really was the only one there. Uh, and it was easy to find her. Wasn't, there wasn't much in trees or anything. It was kind of open land. They see her. The elevator, <laughs> the helicopter pulls down next to her. And this is, this is the funnier part. The, the guy with the coat uh, gets out, and he runs over to her, and she, she acts like she knows what's happening at this point. And instead of talking to her, he throws the coat at her. <laughs> he just throws it at her, and she catches it, and then he turns and immediately runs back to the helicopter and goes away. Now, how many of you think it was planned? A L- little, little bit too good? 
a little bit too good. Yeah. I'm going to say it's not impossible that it was organic. It's not impossible, but the timing doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Have you ever tried to rent a helicopter? <laughs> can, can you get your helicopter rented in, in, in an hour? <laughs> got your film crew, and then they found her on the mountain. Yeah, it was still funny. So whether it was planned or wasn't planned, I, I would still give North Face an A triple plus for marketing. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, even if it was planned, it was amazing. I, I, don't, mind, I don't mind if it was planned, if it was just a marketing stunt. I'm okay with that. It entertained me. Well, the big story is that uh, Elon Musk was at that same event I mentioned, that deal book thing, talking to Andrew Ross Sorkin. And when asked about the advertisers who are leaving the X platform because of his alleged anti-Semitic comments, which were, of course, not anti-Semitic. That's the way these things work. Um, and he said about them, don't advertise. If someone is trying to blackmail me with advertising... Uh, blackmailed me with money, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. <laughs> now, uh, I only had one word response for that. Legend. Yeah. And then he said, hi, Bob, talking to Bob Iger of Disney, who might have been in the audience. So... I don't know. I don't think I could love this any more than I do. I do, I do love the fact, as was pointed out to me by uh, user Blackjack Pershing on X, who said, uh, calling the people leaving uh, blackmailers is a genius reframe. And he mentioned my book. You know my book. Reframe your brain. Yes, it's about reframes. But that's what uh, Elon did. If you, if you allow their frame, hey, you said something anti-Semitic, so they left, you lose. Because then you're arguing from within their frame. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, you're in the frame. No, but I didn't do it. Never works. You have to change the whole frame, which he did. He changed it to blackmail. Does, that, does it ring? Does it ring true? When you hear blackmail, does your brain say, that wasn't blackmail? Or does your brain say, you know what? That was pretty blackmailish. You know what? Mine does. So my, mine, mine grabbed blackmail just like it owned me. Now that's a good reframe. And then what did he do to sell the reframe? He, uh, he pissed on your tablecloth. He used terrible swear words in a situation where you should not use terrible swear words, knowing, of course, that it would be viral. So not only did he reframe it, but then he lit a nuclear bomb under the reframe, so you're not going to miss it. <laughs> not only that, but he did it in such a way... Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you in the comments. You tell me. How many in the comments have now quoted him 
either talking to a friend or in your mind you repeated it or you retweeted it? How many have quoted him already? A lot. Right, the news people do. A lot. If I've taught you anything about AI and the fact that they use these large language models to create some kind of intelligence, um, that's kind of what he's doing. He, He just drew your attention to it in a way you couldn't miss it. He said something interesting, so you repeated his words in your mind. What happens if you can get somebody to repeat your words in their minds? It it reprograms them. So he actually reprogrammed half of Earth by doing that. That, If you think that was just... I, I think the news is reporting it as like an epic meltdown. That was the opposite of an epic meltdown. That was a persuasion play that had the best persuasion technique you'll ever see. You can't beat that. You you had the provocation by doing something out of context. You did it in a public way. You got all that attention. Now, what do I tell you are the two strongest um, persuasion Elements. The two strongest parts of persuasion are what? Fear, correct? And fear and visual. Yeah, the visual part of your brain. Now, attention is necessary for all, all persuasion. So if you said attention, that was, you get credit for that. But if you can give fear and a visual thing, he didn't say fuck you. Fuck you would have been bad persuasion. He told Bob Iger, a person that you can personally, if if you know business, if you follow business at all, you can picture him. And he he didn't say fuck you. He said go fuck yourself. I literally see Bob Iger trying to get his dick in his mouth. Can you beat that? No. No, you cannot beat that. That, that's visual persuasion in a verbal sense. So verbally, he painted you a picture, and he painted you a picture that's a physical impossibility. Was that a mistake because it's a physical impossibility? No. That's technique. <laughs> because the physical impossibility is what makes you think about it so long. You're like, well, you can't really... Well, suppose you... Okay, if you took enough yoga, no. But... If he were built, if he were really well hung, if he, you know, if he, if he count anal, you know, so it makes it makes you think about it, and it makes you think about it visually. You you just can't get better than that. And then as far as fear, when he says blackmailed, even though he's being blackmailed, not you, you can feel it. I can feel that. Because you could put yourself in this position and you're thinking, really? You're going to blackmail this guy? And my favorite part was, he didn't have to say, I'm the richest man on earth. Didn't need to say it. He just said, you're going to try to blackmail me with money? <laughs> that, that, to me, that was, the, that was the kill shot. With money? 
Because you know what that was designed to do? The way he framed that, you know what that was designed to do? Make them feel hopeless. Do you think I'm going to stop funding this because you're fucking with me? I'm still the richest man in the world. I can keep this alive as long as I want. Yeah. With money? Are you serious? So if you want somebody to eventually change their mind, you want to make sure that they know it's hopeless and they're going to look like turds until they change their mind. Apparently, there have been substantial cancellations of the Disney app since he said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disney's going Disney's going to go full uh you know, full on Bud Light. Because he basically Elon just he just sounded the uh, the attack, didn't he? It's one thing when DeSantis goes after Disney. Honestly, I didn't really care about any of that. You know, it was good, good politics, I suppose. But I didn't really love the, the Disney-DeSantis fight. Wasn't a big fan of that. But this is kind of... This, this is a different level. This is, a, this is about free speech itself. The survival of free speech. I do think it's that, it's that important. So I don't think uh, Musk could have done much better than that. And then on a separate topic, he said that uh, uh, he's done more for the environment than anybody on Earth. Is that good persuasion? He's done more for the environment than any single person on Earth. Yes. (laughs) It's perfect. Do you know what is bad persuasion? I've done a lot for the environment. I've done a lot for the environment. I've done many things. I will list them. Bad persuasion. Do you know why? Oh, everybody thinks, you know, I recycle. Yeah, okay, great, I recycle. Yeah, we all do stuff for the environment. You, you're a bigger, bigger entity, so of course it adds up to more, but we're all doing our part. You know, there was that time I walked when I could have driven. We're all doing our thing. Yeah, big deal. You do lots of things for the... But when he says, I'm the singest, single biggest contributor to the, to the environment in the history of planet Earth, you just have to stop <laughs> and say, all right, is he? Is he? And then you think, well, there's Greta, but she hasn't really physically done anything. She's just convincing people. Yeah, so if you get into an argument with yourself about whether he's really the number one or would it be more appropriate to say he's only in the top five? If he can make you argue whether he's the number one or, well, just in the top five, he wins. He wins. Because then it's not you saying, well, I recycle too, so big deal. All right, but here's my favorite story, which is unrelated but related. Uh, There are claims now that uh, Elon Musk's uh, rockets for SpaceX are putting holes in space. Does it sound like I made that up? There, there's actually there's a science-y explanation to it. But literally, literally, the simple explanation is his rockets are putting holes in space. Does it sound to you like maybe there are powerful entities who have decided to take Elon Musk out? Are you seeing any signs... 
that maybe there's a coordinated attack. His rockets are putting holes in space. Come on. Come on. Uh, Then the other thing Musk said, which I, I took to be a comment about the ADL and people who act the same, I guess. Uh, uh, I am saying what I care about is the reality of goodness, not the perception of it. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. Fuck them, okay? Now, I think that would include ESG. Probably includes the WEF. Might include the WHO. Might include Democrats in general. I don't know. But he's got a point. It's really annoying that the people who are the most evil uh, are the ones trying to convince you that they're the the angels. Good point on that. All right. Um, Did any of you have trouble understanding why Musk was in trouble for commenting positively on the tweet? Um, Did anybody look at the tweet that got him in trouble and read it and then reread it and say, I'm not sure what the problem is. And here's what it looks like. It looks like it's the standard play that goes like this. You pretend you don't know what he says, and then you never never leave that frame. You just pretend you don't understand what he really meant. But of course you do. Let let me read. I'll remind you what it was, and then I'll show you how they pretend they're, they're reading it wrong. Okay? Uh, so this is uh, the original poster. I don't know who it was. Um, said something, quote, um, the Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them, the post read. And then it went on. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest shit now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly like them too much. Uh, And then Musk replied, you have the actual truth. You have said the actual truth. Now, what would make this super bigoted and racist is if he said that Jews in general are doing whatever this is. Is that how you heard it? When you read this, did you think he meant all Jews? No. You know why you didn't think it meant all Jews? Because nobody ever means that about any group. If you say uh, black people have a high crime rate, you're never talking about all black people. (laughs) That's what rate means, right? You're not talking about all of them. If you say uh, Elbonians uh, like to wear hats... Are you ever talking about all Obonians? Never. Never. Everybody knows that. If you say uh, black people like hip-hop music, do you mean every, every black person likes hip-hop? Never. Never. Of course you don't mean that. And anybody who heard you would know that you did not mean that. So when this tweet said Jewish communities in the West, do you think there's any chance that he intended to mean every Jew in America. No. Uh, We all know that. Do you think that he included... Now, I guess the ratio, I looked it up this morning. 
Uh, seven out of ten American Jews are Democrats. Seventy percent. Do you think that Elon was including the thirty percent of conservative Jews who might be in favor of building a wall on our border? Do you think he was saying bad things about that group? No. <laughs> so, of course not. Like, obviously, of course not. Because that would be a, grou- a group that largely agrees with Elon. Right? So why, why would he be criticizing the people who have the same opinion he has? It's obviously not about Jewish people in general. It's obviously about individual groups like, you know, maybe he was thinking of the ADL, maybe he was thinking of Democrats, maybe he was thinking of Soros. But to me, it was a comment about Democrats. So when I read it, I go, oh, he's talking about Democrats who want open borders, and that includes a lot of uh, Jewish folks, but it's not really about being Jewish. It's about being in the group of people who like the open borders, which would include a lot of every type of person. You got your Christians, you got your blacks, your whites, your everything. So here's the thing you need to know. There's nobody who believes he said anything anti-Semitic. You get that, right? None of his critics believe he said anything anti-Semitic. None of them. They all know what they're doing. They know that they, if they intentionally pretend he did, they can keep saying it because people don't go back to the source and you know, read it and do what I'm doing. Nobody thinks he did. Nobody. Not a single person believes he meant all Jews. Not one. Uh, All right. Uh, So it was obviously a political statement, but once it's out of the bag, nothing you can do about it. Now, you should see this technique in lots of other places, don't you? How often do you see the, oh, he must be talking about every single person? And you know they're not, ever. All right. Uh, Speaking of Disney... Uh, apparently in their uh, financial reports, they're acknowledging that they're too woke and it's costing them money. But they say it in big corporate way. Do you want to hear the big corporate way you say, uh-oh, we went too woke and we ruined all our products and everybody hates us? Or here's the corporate way to say it in public. <laughs> Quote, we face risks relating to misalignment with public and consumer tastes and preferences for entertainment, travel, and consumer products. Yes, we're, we're not aligned with the, with the customers. How about our products are shit because we bowed to the woke people on the left? Now, when I say they bowed to the woke people on the left, here's a test. This will be a test. Did I mean every Democrat? Did, did that refer to 100% of Democrats? Of fucking course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> and, and every one of you understood, right? Did, did I need to say, you know, a lot of them or many of them or too many of them or there, there, there are too many of them in that group? No, no, no. Because since you're not trying to kill me and remove me from my you know, platform, you just hear it the way I mean it. But if you were here to deplatform me, you would say, oh, you're saying every Democrat... How, how ridiculous of you to say every Democrat's like that. All right, uh, Henry Kissinger's dead. People have uh, different opinions about him. And I would ask you the following question. 
if you think you can evaluate Henry Kissinger, you know, based on the historical record, how are you going to, uh, how are they going to write the history of the Trump administration? Because someday that's going to have to be in a history book. And how will they write the history of Gaza and, you know, the last month or two? Just think about that. Who, who's going to write that history? And when it's written, would you believe it? Because there's certainly going to be an Israeli version of history. There certainly already is, you know, a version for the Palestinians. So which one is history? It depends, right? So if a Democrat wrote a uh, biography of Henry Kissinger, do you think that would be you know, nice and clean and unbiased? Versus, let's say, a staunch Republican wrote a biography of Kissinger. Do you think it would be different? Of course it would. <laughs> so um, people were asking me all day yesterday, because Kissinger died at age 100, they were saying, you know, give us your opinion of his legacy. You know, did he do more good than bad? And here's my answer. How would anybody know? It's completely unknowable. There might be things that, if I looked at, I would say, oh, I don't like that. There might be things I'd look at and say, hmm, by today's perspective, that seems very unwoke. Maybe. But if you're telling me I'm going to try to figure out whether Kissinger was mostly good or mostly bad, you know, was, was sort of the average, you don't know. There's literally no way to know. It's unknowable. Because you would be looking at historical records and things taken out of context, and there's no way you could piece that together and have a reasonable opinion. No way. Yeah. So, I mean, you could have an opinion and a sense of things, but if you have a high level of confidence in that opinion, I think that would be unwarranted. So I would say he's probably somebody who did some good stuff and some bad stuff, and I have no idea how it nets out. Well, Peter Zayn has uh, declared he's going to leave the X platform uh, because he said what was once a platform where you could access open source information that was reliable and free has now been laid to rest by Elon Musk. Yes, I'm talking about that little blue bird we've known and loved for years. Now, that seems to be pretty close to the opposite of my experience. <laughs> I would say that X is way better and the, the, the singular place where there's still free speech and everybody can have their say. Now, why would, his, why would his opinion be the polar opposite of my experience? And by the way, tell me who you agree with. Would you agree that it's like so bad now you should leave? Or do you agree with me that it's not only better than it's ever been, but you know, it's the jewel in the constitutional republic at the moment? Yeah. Now, many of you said to me, Scott, 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 stop talking about this Peter Zayn guy and his views about China and Ukraine because it seemed to you that he was some kind of an intelligence plant, that he was uh, just working for the CIA, you said. Now, I don't know about any of that. I don't know about any of that. I have, I have no, no data, nothing that would say that. I do know he acts exactly like that, or exactly like what I would expect to see if he were 
primarily a CIA asset. And I don't think that any honest person would say what he said, which is that the platform's going to hell and you can't get good information anymore. I don't believe he really believes that. Now, I can't read his mind, right? So if you're going to say, hey, you're reading minds, I'd say, well, okay, you got me there. But here's why I think it. I can't know for sure. Here's why I think it. I think it because nobody would have this opinion. Nobody would have this opinion. This is not... I mean, it's just sort sort of on its surface, it's obviously ridiculous. So to me, it looks like it's just... um, he has some alliance that he's, he's uh, satisfying with us. I don't know who it would be. but So I'm not going to make any accusations about who he really works for. I'll just note that a lot of people have that view. And that um, my observation is I can't think of a second way to explain it. I don't know a second way to explain this observation. So uh, Here's an interesting update on open AI and... Um, Chat GPT. So another, uh, we've got a resignation by another board member, Helen Toner, and she said this on X about her resignation. To be clear, our decision was about the board's ability to effectively supervise the company, which was our role and responsibility. Um, there, there's been the speculation we were not motivated by a desire to slow down. Oh, there's been speculation but we were not motivated by a desire to slow down OpenAI. So the, the primary story that we all got about the Sam Altman situation, and I think, I think it was reported in every outlet, was that the reason for the conflict was that the board wanted to go slower and Altman wanted to go faster on AI. And now here's the board member herself. She's saying unambiguously it had nothing to do with that. Now, if she didn't tell you that, what would the history of this situation have written? Probably it would have gone with all the the news reports. It would have written that that was a reason. So you you really think you can evaluate Kissinger? No, you cannot evaluate Kissinger. (laughs) Because it's all this and always has been. If, if If this one board member had not decided to not only quit... Because if she had not quit, I don't think we would have ever heard of this, right? It, it seems related to her quitting. Uh, I, I think she would have kept quiet and you know, maybe be, had more decorum as a board member. But this is really valuable for the, the permanent record. So I don't know what the problem was. They're, they've been pretty unspecific about it. All right, um, if you're not following Kyle Becker on X you're really missing out. In my opinion, he's in the top, I don't know, definitely top 10, maybe top five of useful news-related um, independent uh, journalists. Probably top five. You know, he's in there with Greenwald and um, Schellenberger, Kanakoa uh, the Great. You know, those are accounts that are, but just always have the best stuff. All right, and he's so good that I want to read you his very long um, post because he summarizes the January 6th situation um, really well. And you need, to, you need to have it re-summarized every once in a while because it's complicated. 
So um, let me just read Kyle Becker's thing. So he says, uh, so it turns out there were, quote, at least 200 feds and undercover operatives working the Trump entrapment plot on January 6th. Now, don't get too excited about that. That's not a verified fact. Uh, he says his source is that's according to U.S. Representative Clay Higgins, Republican, uh, who sat down for a recent interview uh, and said, quote, the FBI was not just participating in the January 6th acts from within. I suspect they had over 200 agents. So this was one politician who suspects. Right? So I'd, I'd say, uh, well, we have verification. I'm sure that they were there. But 200 would be a whole different story than 50. Would you agree? Well, 50 might be the same story. 200 would be a, bit, a different story than 20. That would be a different story. All right. So there's one person who thinks that he suspects there were over 200. So I wouldn't rely on that number. That's just one person's speculation. Um, and uh, that they were dressed as Trump supporters, and etc. Um, now, Kyle says, again, he's not buying into the number entirely. He says, this figure is in the realm of possibility, given the newly released uh, J6 videos, court documents, and witness statements. Uh, I would agree. I would agree with it's in the realm of possibility. Probably high, but in the realm. I mean, if it's 100, would it change your mind? If you find out there were only 100, not 200, that wouldn't change your mind much, would it? 100's a lot. So, but, here's the important part. Um, and when you track, uh, this is in quotes, so I guess this must be what uh, Clay Higgins said. Quote, and when you track the text threads and the communications within those groups and find the origins of suggestions of potential violence or an active occupation of the Capitol on January 6th, you'll find that those messages were led by members of the groups that ended up to be the FBI agents and had infiltrated the group, Higgins said. Now, is that true? That we have enough of a pattern that the the groups that were involved, at the very least, we know that they had, uh, they were infiltrated and that the feds were the ones who made, might have been the provocative ones, which, of course, is you know, not allowed. All right. Um, so Higgins continued, so the FBI's involvement was deep, not just on J6, but on the days and weeks and months prior. All right. So we don't know the exact number, but there's... Apparently evidence that some number of them may have been instigators, and that would be the key point, whether the FBI were the instigators or were, would it have happened organically. Um, now, Kyle says there's now zero doubt that J6 was a setup. Well, setup does a lot of work, but um, he says the Trump incitement narrative had been hatched uh, months prior as the infamous uh, Time Shadow Cabal article made clear. All right, so Time magazine. So Kyle says the J6 riot was wargamed multiple times before the Electoral College. Wow. Did you know that? It was wargamed ahead of time? Is that in the Time article? Um, I don't know about that. All right. The FBI unconstitutionally used NSA surveillance to track the extremist groups seeking to disrupt the event. They had federal informants embedded in multiple extremist groups, including the Proud Boys. 
Now, here's, here's sort of a payoff here. He says, yeah, somehow the FBI and Capitol Police were woefully unprepared despite multiple advance warnings. Yeah, how, how do you have all these embedded FBI agents who are fully aware of what January 6th is going to turn into because they're part of the organizations that are going to do it, and they don't warn anybody? Or if they did warn them, they weren't prepared? Hmm, that doesn't quite track, does it? Um, he goes on. Uh, D.C. Mayor Bowser, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, former Senate Majority Mitch McConnell, and others refused to press for more National Guard, despite it being documented and on the record that former President Trump wanted 10,000 National Guard troops outside Congress to protect the Electoral College. Is that an established fact? That's documented that he asked way ahead of the Electoral College for 10,000, and they turned it down. What else do you need to know? (laughs) If the groups that were the aggressive ones had FBI informants, and we have records that the FBI informants might have been the ones riling things up, and then we know that since everybody knew there would be a problem, and Trump knew it too, and he asked for reinforcements, and he was denied. That looks exactly like a setup, doesn't it? What else would it be? I mean, even incompetence, it would be tough to stretch this to incompetence. Usually, I'm going to take the incompetence argument as the obvious one. Oh, that people were just dumb, because that explains a lot. But this would be a level of dumb that would be hard to explain. They're not that dumb, are they? Um... Kyle goes on and says, also, there was no centrally coordinated plot to overturn the results of the election, as FBI sources told Reuters in a 2021 uh, report. Uh, That's a big deal. And indeed, he says, that was the entire point of the election challenges during the convening of the Electoral College. Um, If Donald Trump wanted to overturn the 2020 elections, he he would not have disrupted the Electoral College. He would have continued to pursue his legal challenge. That makes sense to me. It seems that if you were going to do the legal challenge, that the riot is working against your own interests. Like It's like pick one. Pick the riot or pick the, the, legal, you know, the legal way. They, they don't kind of work together. It's a good point. Uh, Trump would not have sent in unarmed extremists to, delup- to, to disrupt Electoral College in order to retain power. Uh, this is not only illogical, it is absurd on its face. It is absurd. Because at best, they could have delayed things a day and then the Supreme Court would have worked it out and literally nothing would have happened. Um, So nonetheless, this ridiculous partisan narrative has constituted the basis for prosecuting a former president in what has devolved into a partisan show trial. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know, there's still some questions about the number of feds. But if people are guessing 200, it wasn't five, right? It wasn't five. Uh, I'm going to put my own guess on it. We'll probably never know. I'm going to put my own guess on it at between 30 and 50. 
between 30 and 50. Just a guess. Based on living in the world and how hard it is to get anything done and that sort of thing. And they probably would have thought that was enough. So some of you are guessing 100. 200 seems high. I mean, if it's 200, that would explain everything. All right. Um, Yeah, and then we have the Governor Whitmer situation to tell us that things can get out of control with the undercover assets. So we know that's a thing. Uh, Is the claim that feds are responsible for January 6th? Uh, That would be the current claim, but I don't know that... uh, I don't think that Trump had enough proof of that to make it part of the court case. But um, remember, the standard for government is guilty until proven innocent. The standard for citizens is the opposite. We're innocent until proven guilty. So if uh, if you have allegations about the number of feds and they're not forthcoming about the number, you should assume they're guilty. Not because it's necessarily guaranteed to be true, but it's the only smart way to play it. If the government won't tell you what they're doing, assume it's corrupt every time. Right? In the, in the great unlikely chance that something else is happening, okay, well, you got wrong that time. But you're going to be right nine out of ten times if you assume that when they're hiding stuff, there's a good reason they're hiding it. And it's not a reason you like So yes, the mere fact that the FBI will not disclose how many agents were involved, I I consider a proof of crime. In a logical sense, but not a legal sense. Logically, it's proof. Because, and again, make the distinction, if it were you as an individual, that's not proof. You're going to have to prove I did it. But when the government says, we're not going to tell you this valuable information that you want to know, and by the way, we can't even tell you that there's a reason we can't tell you. Right? Because suppose they said, uh, yes, the number is 200, but we don't want to tell you how many are embedded in the groups and how many were just working that day. That's not good enough. Because they don't have to tell us that. They could just say, there are about 200, but we don't want to give you the breakdown of you know, what they were doing. That would be something. And, and at least then I would understand the part where they don't want to tell us something. It's like, okay, you don't want to tell us how many people are embedded because that would you know, maybe alarm those groups. Well, I get that. But not telling us any number? Even, even a generality? No, that's proof of guilt. Now, again, it doesn't mean they're guilty, <laughs> but it should be considered proof. The same way that we can you know, convict somebody, an individual, for a crime, if you convict somebody of a crime and you say they're guilty, you understand that doesn't mean they did the crime, right? That just means that the process found them guilty. That's different from whether they actually did it. <laughs> Likewise, uh, I am prosecuting the FBI right now by saying your failure to give us this information, I consider proof of guilt. Does that mean they're guilty 100%? Nope. Nope. Could be some weird thing that we don't know about. But you have to treat it like they're guilty. 
The same way if somebody is convicted, even if they're not guilty, you know, in reality, they're still going to put them in jail and treat them that way. Because you, you have a working assumption that's the only way you can go through life. Well, I don't know for sure, but my working assumption is this. So it bothers me no end when we treat January 6th like a maybe. It's a maybe, because we don't know, but we shouldn't treat it that way. You should treat it like a, a confirmed guilt by government hiding information that you have no reason to know why it should be hidden. All right. Um, Doesn't the Melody war game against such coups? Well, since it wasn't a coup, I don't know. Um, Yeah, and then there might be a question about how many are actually FBI employees and how much are informants and whatever. Oh, wow. All right, that's all I got for now. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the finest live streams you'll ever see. Um, If you're still looking for Christmas gifts, I recommend my two excellent books. My classic is out with uh, just a tighter edit. Same book, better edit. Um if you really want to change somebody's life, and then reframe your brain for really anybody. This works for everybody. For your mental health, to your career, to your happiness, everything. And if you don't believe me, just look at the reviews on Amazon. Keep keep this in mind. I'm a cancelled author, and I have a five-star review for my new book. I'm cancelled. I mean, you'd expect just in the normal in the normal way of things working, you'd expect a bunch of haters would have come in and said, well, we hate you. But instead, if you look at the reviews, people say, I don't like his politics, but wow, this is quite a book. So that's, a, that, that's about the best endorsement you can get, is your haters, your haters actually stop. The haters actually stop their criticism at that book. They criticize everything else about me, not that book. So, there's your commercial. All right, uh, YouTube, thanks for joining. <clears throat> your autistic son is reading Reframe Your Brain. Excellent. Um, I will see you tomorrow. And if you missed my cooking show yesterday, uh, I'll give you an update. I did a cooking show, <coughs> live stream. I made uh, lentil soup, or you could call it dal, because it's an Indian version. And what I learned is... <coughs> It's real easy to do the main ingredients, but you need like 15 spices (laughs) to to get it where you want. It was actually delicious. I overcooked the lentils a little bit, but um, taste-wise, probably the best thing I've tasted in months. It was actually amazing. Yeah. All right, that's all for now. See ya, YouTube. Catch you tomorrow.